Okay, Ben, we're out standing in the field. We are. Where are we? In, on the riverbed of the Mighty Bear River a hundred plus years ago. Yes, the mostly dry, warmer yeah. riverbed. Uh, yeah. What are we looking at? We are looking up at a dam. We've altered the course of an, of an entire multi-state river. Yeah. This is Benjamin Zach. I'm Leah Larson. We are here for another episode of Outstanding in the Field, the Standard Examiner's Science and Environment podcast. Yeah, and at this time we went up to Bear Lake on the Utah-Idaho border. Um, I've been going there ever since I was a kid, kind of building sandcastles on the beach and collecting seashells and swimming. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people from this area no Bear Lake. But Ben, you are new to the area. What were your impressions the first time you went to Bear Lake? This was cool. I've, I've been by Bear Lake before, but never really spent more than um, a few minutes there. So yeah, it's it's beautiful. I, I am kind of just dumbfounded by that color. Yes. That real. Electric blue yeah. water. It's sometimes called the Caribbean of the Rockies. And you may or may not know that the reason it's so blue is because of all the calcium carbonate in the lake. And, and because it's a, a lake in the middle of the desert, it evaporates a lot, which leads, leaves behind all that calcium carbonate. Uh, and that's why it's blue. Where were we going on Bear Lake, Ben, and why? We went up to the far north end of the Bear Lake. We started at what looks like a dam, but is actually a pump station that I'm sure we'll get into a little later here. Mm-hmm. Where this big, the... tall brick building mm-hmm. where there's birds everywhere. You've probably seen it if you go to North Beach. Yeah, so you have the beach on one side down to the lake, and then on the other side of this narrow road, you've got wetlands going up to the north. Turns out, this big building up top there is called Lifton Station. And it's owned by Rocky Mountain Power, Actually, Pacific Corps, <laughs> and it plays a big role in altering the course of both the Bear River and what the Bear Lake looks like. Part of what took us out there is Bear Lake is in the news. Uh, the state of Utah and the state of Idaho jointly filed claims to 400,000 acre feet of water on the Bear River that's tied to Bear Lake. Yeah, um, that sounds like a lot of water. I mean, if it sounds like a lot of water to you, it's because it is. It is. <laughs> You're Connelly? Connelly, yeah. I'm Leah. Hi, Leah. Nice, nice to, to meet, meet you. Nice to meet you. Some folks with Pacificor were kind enough to meet us up there and give us a little tour. We met with uh, Connelly Baldwin. Yeah, hi, I'm Connelly Baldwin. I work for Pacificor, otherwise known as Rocky Mountain Power, um, here in Utah, Idaho, and Wyoming. And... Um, I have hydrologist. And also David Eskelson, who is kind of a media spokesperson. And you're David? Yeah. Okay. So how nice do you... to meet you in person. Yeah, <laughs> nice to meet you. David and Conley first gave us some background on the Bear River and the Bear Lake and how these are connected. Uh, yes, it's all uh, stems from this big hydropower project, and it's a pretty interesting slice of history in the Intermountain West. Back of the American way of life is hydro, the controlled power of the river, the thrust of the turbine, the crescendo of the generator, humming a saga of man's triumph over a continent. 
basically the Bear River is is a an, uh, an irrigation uh, project that also generates hydroelectricity. It's uh, there are a few canals that del deliver water to and from Bear Lake, um, and the history goes. Uh, Way back to um, uh, even before the pioneers came when they were first doing ex exploration, they noticed that the Bear River flowed just to the north of Bear Lake. So um, uh, at the time of the pioneers, the, the river didn't flow into Bear Lake, and so there was a, a canal constructed to divert Bear River into Bear Lake. That water flows down the canal from Bear River into Bear Lake just by a matter of gravity then. The entire river. Mm -hmm. The entire river diverted out, comes out into sort of the marshy area known as Dingle Marsh or Mud Lake. Mud Lake, yeah. Just north of there. There's, that's kind of where the refuge is, the Bear Lake Bird Refuge. Yeah, and, and actually enters into the lake right around the beach up there. And then a little ways down the lake to the west is actually a separate pumping station where the water is then pulled out, put into a new canal, and then reconnects with the Bear River a few miles downstream. Right, so the pump is that big building we were talking about at Lifton. Um, in the summer we, we pump water out and release it back to the to the Bear River it's when it's irrigating. needed downstream for mm -hmm. irrigation, yeah. So, um, and uh, Bear Lake fluctuates on a wide range and we really need only operate for flood control when it's uh, in its highest elevations. Okay. Um, so. Flood control, that's basically what took us up to Bear Lake. Mm -hmm. uh, states of Utah and Idaho have jointly filed to claim 400,000 acre feet from Bear Lake, but it, it, it's uh, not really, there was some confusion early on that maybe this was tied to the Bear River Development Project, which is that big dam that um, some groups are pushing for, to support future growth in Utah. Um, so they want to dam a section of the Bear River, but this has nothing to do with that. This is water that they realized uh, hadn't been documented on paper, more or less, because it's water that Pacificor releases early on for flood control. And the states kind of want that. So did you release anything this year? This year we did, because okay. 2017 was such a high water year mm -hmm. that the lake did peak high enough that we were above our target elevations and released water uh, through the summer and fall. And uh, until March 31st, uh, we were making releases. And then March 31st is roughly the time when we start to see spring runoff. And so then when that's when we started storing in Bear Lake and um, uh, refilling for the for the next season. So And no one's tapping that for irrigation, it's just basically it goes right down. to the flows right to the Great Salt Lake. Okay. That's kind of the rub with this whole thing, this this what this flood water that the states are trying to claim. Um, so it's water that would have otherwise flowed down to the Great Salt Lake because they're releasing it before people are tapping the river for irrigation. And if you are a regular listener to this podcast, <laughs> you know that the Great Salt Lake is in dire need of water. It, it, it hit a record low, and uh, it, we just got through a pretty rough winter. So, yeah. so last season, Bear Lake peaked at 5,922.32. That's about a foot and a half from full. Over the winter and into early spring until March 31st, Pacificor released water for that flood control and took the lake down to its target elevation of 5,919 feet. That's about three feet or so of change in the lake's elevation. Connolly listed the hydropower dams that operate below Bear Lake. So mm -hmm. there's a plant at Soda Springs, near Soda Springs, Idaho, 
and uh, one in, in near Grace, Idaho, our Grace plant, and then one near Preston, Idaho, our Oneida plant, and then west of Logan and Cutler. Gotcha. And so those are the plants where we generate electricity. So Lifton is just a pump. Yep. It's okay. A big pump. Yep. It was. It was always designed to, to uh, take the water out of Bear Lake in storage, and put it back in the river, uh, for uh, agriculture and to generate power. When the uh, original folks who envisioned this project, uh, you know, that was back in you know really the 1890s. Uh, because they looked at the difference in elevation between Bear Lake and the Great Salt Lake, and that's as big a drop as Niagara Falls. Mm. And since Niagara Falls had been, um, you know, used for hydropower, they they thought they said, well, maybe there's something we can do there, on on the Bear River. And um, so um, it's the it's the drop in elevation that that creates the energy for hydropower. The first company to try and connect Bear River with Bear Lake for hydropower purposes was Telluride Light and Power. Um, they were pretty quickly acquired by Utah Power and Light. Then Pacificor merged with Utah Power in 1989. So Pacificor is the one that oversees all the, these hydro projects on the Bear River system from Bear Lake and below. Yeah. From Lifton, we headed up the beach, up North Beach, towards the causeway where the water is actually being diverted into the lake. So Bear Lake, it's, it's pretty interesting because Bear Lake is a natural lake that then we use as a reservoir as well. And so uh, it's, they've, uh, it's about 208 feet deep. Um, and we only use the top 23 and a half feet or so as a reservoir. Um, and so in terms of uh, lake volumes, there's about yeah, six and a half million acre feet, um, of which uh, there's about 1.4 million acre feet that is usable as uh, reservoir storage, and the rest of it is um, just the natural lake water. And that's basically enough water for how many homes, would you say? I can't remember what the figure is. What's the figure? An acre foot is like... Ben, what is an acre foot? An acre foot that they're measuring everything in. Imagine a single acre that is a foot deep in water and you have an acre foot of water. And a football field is about an acre. So think about a football field covered with a foot of water. And then think about 400,000 or 1.4 million or these ways they're measuring it. And it's also very interest, interesting because uh, there were some researchers that were uh, doing some research and uh, discovered that uh, Bear Lake is quite old, a, a wide range in, of age from 500,000 to 6 million years old. Mm. Um, kind of I'd heard thrown around one or one and a half million years old, but uh, it's interesting because most ris uh, lakes fill up with sediment and become kind of a wide spot in the river. But uh, the geology of, of Bear Lake is such is that essentially due to fault on the east side of Bear Lake, the bottom is kind of slowly uh, receding and getting deeper. And so um, it's a very old lake and um, has four endemic fish that have um, evolved to uh, use this lake as their home. Ben, what does endemic mean? They live only there and nowhere else. Well said. Uh, Bear Lake's endemic fish are the Bonneville Cisco, the Bonneville Whitefish, the Bear Lake Whitefish, and the Bear Lake Sculpin. Um, as Connolly Baldwin just touched on in the clip before, uh, Bear Lake has an amazing history. 
uh, not just the hydropower plants alone. Well but before people yes. were here. <laughs> um, we are going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, and this is based on the Utah State University study, History of Human Impact on Bear Lake from 2007. Basically, scientists have been able to take core samples of Bear Lake sediments to piece together its history before humans began altering it with canals and such. Yes, over the last 30,000 years, Bear River has sometimes connected with Bear Lake and sometimes it hasn't. It's on the move. Mm -hmm. Core sample evidence shows that Bear River and Bear Lake probably haven't been naturally connected for the past 12,000 years. Um, And that's after all those ice age glaciers had receded and things were warming up in North America. It's also around the time humans first started building cities and forming agricultural societies and experimenting with smelting metal. Not in Utah, Idaho, though. uh, (laughs) But at this point, Lake Bonneville was gone. Yeah. Um, At this point, there was also a natural sandbar that separates the lake and the river at Mud Lake. And it's still there today. Um, Telluride Power uh, built its canal in 1911, and that was the first to connect Bear River and Bear Lake once again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, as we mentioned before, Utah Power and Light later acquired Telluride, um, and they added the Stewart Dam, which moves the entire Bear River out of its natural bed and down the Rainbow Canal. And so the Rainbow Canal is the one they built that actually is able to uh, carry the bulk of the flow from the Bear River into Bear Lake. Where did the name Rainbow come from? I don't know. I've, I've, I think, my guess is if you look at it on a map, it kind of comes in and curves around. Mm-hmm. So um, there's nothing in the if, official company archives, but that's my guess. <laughs> uh-huh. Did you ever hear any explanation of that? Never uh, about Rainbow. Uh, yeah. there, there, was, there was one story that, that I think is interesting. When the predecessor companies to Rocky Mountain Power first approached the federal government about this project, and there were congressional hearings held uh, about uh, what to do you know, about this project and, and whether to do it or not. And as the presentation was completed, um, the Department of Interior officials basically told those predecessor companies, this is a good idea, um, but if you're for some reason unable to financially do this, the government will step in and finish it because it's a good idea. Mm. So it was, uh, it was something that a number of people thought of and was, was certainly, on the, certainly on the radar because its benefits for um, uh, flood control, for um, guarantees of irrigation water during dry years, and the generation of hydropower was, uh, was seen as a great multi-use development project. And the fact that it's still going these many years later. Uh, because, well, you know, it, it, I, I guess probably up until about the 1930s, the energy produced on the Bear River was about 75% of old Utah Power and Light's capacity. Wow. So it was the major piece of, wow. of energy production, um, you know, well into the 1930s. An unshackled giant becomes a seaway to an empire. The promise of power Power to make a million and a quarter acres bloom again. Power to push the city to the farthest county line. To bring better crops and better living to the farmers of the region. Power for the home. Good light for Billy's eyes. 
electric cooking for mother, the comfort of electric heat and electric cold, leisure to replace the burdens of an outworn era. Uh, as electricity use increased, you know, uh, the use of electricity to do so many more things, um, other power plants had to be built. Now it's a very small proportion of the overall energy we supply to consumers, but it's still very valuable yeah. because hydropower doesn't have a fuel cost. Hydropower is very flexible. And, and one of the things that utilities like is some kind of power source that we can use if there's ever a big problem. So it's, it's very, it's, it's still a good idea to keep these, to keep these plants operating. Uh, it's a, it's a good reliability, um, measure for customers. And I, I think, uh, what is that, 108 megawatts that the yeah. river generates? How many homes would that be? Well, um, if everything was generating uh, about the same time, um, a megawatt of uh, power can serve about 500 modern homes. After visiting the Lifton pumping station and the Inlet Canal on North Beach, we drove north along a dirt road that followed the Rainbow Canal. From there, we arrived at the structure that made this all possible. Okay, so what are we looking at here? So we're on Stewart Dam, and so the river comes at us from that direction and then uh, turns down the Rainbow Canal right there. Uh -huh. And then there's some just some head gates that control how much flow goes um, down the Rainbow Canal and usually it's the full flow of the river. Um, have a little bit of leakage through the, uh, the spill gates here. Um, so this is where the river would have gone yeah, the old 100 canal. years ago. Yeah. yeah. Yep. This, so, this dam is a lot smaller than I thought it was going to be considering what a big job it does. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, uh, you know, not meant to, to store water, just meant to divert the water. So mm -hmm. it doesn't take much of a dam to just divert the water. And um, so, yeah, there's no, no reservoir at this point, but it, yeah, it just diverts the water. So. Right. But if you yeah. didn't know what it was, it, it's like a bridge or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a bridge. But there are wow. And so yeah, today there's uh, 400 in CFS, cubic feet per second. That's... Uh, flowing into uh, Mud Lake and then into Bear Lake. So how far is it from here to where the rivers pump back in? Is it, uh, I want to say five miles. Yeah. Oh, that's about it. Five miles. So this is a five mile stretch. Yeah, five mile stretch. Mm. Uh, ben, were you kind of uh, underwhelmed by how big the dam was? <laughs> a little bit. I, I first heard about this spot where the Bear River was entirely dammed off and diverted last year and I always had this mental image of like there's this massive dam where you're looking up at a giant concrete wall and there's the farm down below and yeah really this is like not what I was expecting it's it's like a decent sized country bridge and it just, just looks like the river turns structure. there <laughs> yeah which is exactly what happens there and you uh while i was talking to Connolly and david you kind of walked down there to get a better look and yeah. i liked your analogy like yeah uh gotta go run down below we actually the farmer who works on that land was standing right there at the time when we were there <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so <right. laughs> chatted with him for a second went down below and there is a river that's an inch or too deep in some spots still running through. Not very wide. It's basically coming from these uh, little holes? holes 
cracks maybe i'm not sure didn't get that close yeah, to I'm figure not sure it out if they were intentional but yeah it looks like the cartoons are a bugs money sticking his finger in the dike <laughs> to stop the flood from happening it really is just squirting out a few feet and uh making a it, tiny little creek yeah a little marsh immediately below the dam and then it flows down this riverbed that is now Mostly not empty. much of a riverbed um so i just have a few questions about the uh that the Utah and Idaho trying to mm -hmm. find a way to tap that water that you release early season. So 400,000 acre feet, that's rare that you're releasing that much, right? That would be like max. Yeah, it would be a, a, and it's rare that we have enough water in the spring to fill all the way to the top. So it just represents that portion of the water. So it's kind of like worst case scenario. Yeah. yeah. Because I think a lot of people are like, that's so much water that they're going to, but it just, it must just fluctuate. Yeah, it depends on how much water is available mm -hmm. yeah. from year to year. And it, it, it has been highly variable you know, in recent years, particularly. Um, there, were, there were quite a few high water years, um, 70s and 80s. Um, but if you, you know, look at our hydrograph, it's, a lot more volatility in recent years. Hmm. It's been pretty high, it's been pretty low. Yeah, in 2011, the lake level rose 11.4 feet. And we thought, and that was the record for one year's uh, lake level gain um, in the history of the lake. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and we thought that would stand like at least a little while. 11.4, you said. Yeah, 11.4 wow, feet. And then in 2017, it rose 11.7 feet. Wow. So even more in 2017 that it, the lake rose and so it was so it's 2017 the new record new record huh. yeah for the single year lake level rise and then this year has been kind of yep sketchy <laughs> sketchy have you talked to many irrigators are they nervous about this year or well since we have so much water in the lake mm -hmm. they have they'll have a full supply of water this year it's just next year but that it's just sure. uh, yeah mm -hmm. after it's the, the after a, you get a series of dry years that's when um, you start getting nervous and um. yep. we said goodbye to Pacific War. Played around on the dry Bear River bed just a little bit. Uh, so you kind of already talked about your impressions of the dam itself that's diverting the the river bend, but mm -hmm. what are your impressions of this project as a whole? Like, what do you what do you think? I I have a hard time wrapping my head around the idea that we as people at one point just turned an entire river and not like diverted it around a, a little bit but we said no nope, we're gonna take a left here and go up a couple miles we'll put it in <laughs> this lake we're gonna pull it back out <laughs> go down a few miles this this is just a bit mind-boggling yeah it, it's amazing what we were able to accomplish um by you know putting these dams on the bear river and doing these projects we electrified our region we mm. supported agriculture we we put the inner mountain area on the map yeah all thanks to the bear power to uncover a treasure trove of idle resources to turn them into useful goods for which a nation waits power for millions of americans who look westward hopefully for land and jobs for security and happiness power to make the american dream come true but of course uh, all those alterations we make to our environment have ripple effects and consequences and we're only just starting to understand of understand what those consequences are to bear lake mm -hmm. 
If you think about it, diverting the Bear River into the lake and then releasing the water out over the irrigation season causes some major fluctuations to the lake level each year. And not only that, but the, the river brings a lot of sediment with it. Uh, so there's like two chemistries that are kind of intermingling now that weren't for 12,000 years. Mm-hmm. We visited someone who lives on the shores of Bear Lake and sees those fluctuations firsthand. And she's become one of the lake's biggest environmental advocates. I'm Claudia Cottle, and my husband and I, David, are the executive directors for Bear Lake Watch. And this is our little retirement job that we do 24-7 for two people. Only I let him go fishing today. (laughs) (laughs) Here the reporters are coming. We met Claudia at her home near the Utah-Idaho line and walked from there down to the beach to have a little chat. These shells are gray. Where did these shells come from? They're over six million years, six, six thousand years old. Um, this creature, that, that the creatures, there's a few different kinds, um, they have not existed since, for about six to ten thousand years. Wow. But because of the calcium in our water, they, um, they don't deteriorate. And it's also a big portion of our um, sand is actually shell. So, Crushed shells. Yeah, so they're very... Mm-hmm. They're very cool. Little girls love them, especially girls. I can uh-huh. say that. Kind of Claudia thing. has a pretty nice property there on the lake. We saw some cool things while we were there, yeah. including a mama moose and a baby moose. Right. Uh, all the geese. Whole bunch of geese. And there's a whole bunch of pelicans a just down the shore. Pelicans. Pelicans. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Do you know they fly back to Salt Lake every night? Do they really? Mm-hmm. To Gunnison Island? They, yeah. They don't live here. They just come and eat our carp. We did a podcast about Gunnison Island. Gunnison is my favorite place in Utah. Oh, cool. Very cool. Very cool. It's fascinating. See, we're so connected, you know. Yeah, you think they fly all the way to the Great Salt Lake. I was just over that mountain right there. It's not that far. So how did you get into becoming a lake advocate? David's father, Russ Cottle, uh, was a founding member. David's dad grew up on the lake, and and that whole group was concerned about what was going on in with the lake back in the early 90s. Though it was so low, and it was different, it was changing things. People were really concerned, and it was it had gone so low? It had been the lake had been up for for decades and then you know it would go down a little bit and then back up all of a sudden it was low and lower and lower and it was so low that the power company needed to dredge at Lifton uh, in order to get that last little bit of water out that they needed to get to deliver to the irrigators Mm. and so uh, there was just a lot of discussion then and, and I wasn't here but reading the the transcripts and things they really just wanted to know that somebody cared and that it mattered what happened at Bear Lake. Their strategy at that time when uh, Pacific Corps was dredging was to slap them with a lawsuit and that caused a delay on the dredging. Well that brought the power company and the irrigators to the table and it was pretty heated and embattled and um, but they finally came with the settlement. It's called the Bear Lake Settlement Agreement. It's been praised as the best thing that's happened on the river. Um, and it was a, 
an agreement that the, the irrigators would use less water than their contracts were as the lake went down. And, um, and that there would be uh, more uh, of a, a model made and there'd be more transparency for how the water was, when the water was used and how much was taken out. The Bear Lake Settlement Agreement was reached in 1995 and amended a few times after that. Um, not long after that agreement, there was a period of extended drought. Uh, 2000 to 2004 was especially bad. Um, and I remember that because I would go to the lake uh, in those years. <laughs> uh, and it caused um, a lot of local far farmers a lot of worry. Mm -hmm. Around that time, Bear Lake reached a 70-year record low. And that meant in 2004, the provisions in the agreement were triggered. So for ir irrigators, that meant they only received about a third of the water they were used to. But for people like Claudia Cottle, who care about Bear Lake, you know, those rations made a difference. Oh, look. <laughs> so if you had it your way, would you put the bear back in its channel? And well, that would be the ultimate. That would be great. Um, some say now that, you know, if they look at the numbers, that Bear Lake wouldn't sustain its own elevation, but it did for thousands of years. So then I'd have to say, well, we gotta look at that. What did happen if we let it go back the way it was, then we'd re-restore the Dingle Marsh. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're gonna quit using Bear Lake as a reservoir. It's too valuable now. Um, but if we were to keep using it, then maybe we should look at restoring the marsh to some natural function. And because what we did, like I said, the, the whole thing that made Bear Lake special was we didn't put the lake, the river in, and then all of a sudden we are. And so a big part of that is that that water comes in straight out of the bear. However, even Claudia acknowledges that there's probably no going back. Uh, this system with the canals and connecting the lake and the river. The dams. It's very established, and this is where we're at now. And uh, we're pretty dependent on it. We really are. Um, but even so, even with that system and the agreement, there's still a lot of questions of how we handle this. You know, the lake changes over time, and it's normal for lake levels to go up and down. That's happened in every natural ecosystem throughout the year, and then sometimes you have wet years, and sometimes you have dry years. And lakes and rivers respond. They do. That's normal. natural. The big question now is what happens when you maybe change that pattern? Maybe it's not going up at the time that it would normally go up, and maybe it's not going down the same amount it would normally go down. If nature were in charge. Mm -hmm. The lake isn't just one big tub. There's a lot of different ecosystems within that are always changing. So how, do, so how does this man-made system of changes impact the fish? How does it impact... The, the shorelines, vegetation, the vegetation yeah. on those shorelines. What about non-native vegetation that's moving in? Mm -hmm. um, the shorelines are always changing on their own, but again, now we're starting to change that a little bit as well. And what about the sediment that the, the river is bringing into the lake now that it hadn't for thousands of years? What is that going to do to the shorelines yeah, and the sand? Claudia was pointing out some of the muck that's ending up on her shore that might not have been there otherwise. So there are a lot of questions and there's... Uh, a lot of room still for us to figure out researchers the to be looking at this. I was I was really surprised after spending so much time on some other water projects in Utah how, how little, little research there is on Bear Lake. Yes, considering what a popular vacation spot it is too, how many people are so connected. Yeah, so 
to the lake. Go take a look at Bear Lake sometime. So Ben and I have a lot of experience working with the Great Salt Lake. Uh-huh. And there's similar, similar advocacy groups obviously fighting for that. But that's like, there's concerns that it's like going to shrink and dry up. And obviously Bear Lake is deep and big enough that it's not in danger of that. So what was, what was the real fear um, at the time that they formed, formed uh, Bear Lake Watch? Well, the, the lake has functions. And uh, some for people and a lot for fish. Uh, we have four endemics, so that's um, would be in really bad shape if our endemic fish got listed. They need they need the functions of Bear Lake animal or full or at least full full more often. Um, and there's impacts, uh, you know, to to having the lake used the way it is. And it's not about volume, obviously. We got a lot of water here. It's where the water is and when. I mean, normally, you know, the lake, like the ocean, sorts out the, um, the sand and the shells. And if it's here long enough, it builds these beautiful beaches that everybody loves. And um, when it's here for just a month in the spring, that's just long enough to bring the sediment up, dump it on the shoreline, and then leave. We did ask Claudia Cottle for her thoughts on these plans by the states of Utah and Idaho to maybe hang on to that flood mitigation water at the beginning of the season. Maybe keep it in Bear Lake, maybe shepherd it somewhere else. It's still unclear what's going to happen to it, obviously, but uh, she says she's feeling cautiously optimistic about those future plans. Um, Optimistic, obviously, because it would be an opportunity to have that water over the winter. Cautious, because then they talked about selling it, uh, who they might sell that to. Um, initially, they even talked about that would, to, you know, to the Wasatch Front, or which was always, you know, the big dread. Um, she said if the lake does stay up longer, it could help with a lot of those issues we discussed, like the sedimentation and fish spawning and such. So I keep hearing all these parallels to the Great Salt Lake, since that's, like I said, we did oh, yeah. a big right. project on yeah. that. And so, you know... I, I think there are people who are downstream. They hear about these plans between Utah and Idaho to keep water in Bear Lake. And that's great for you, right? But they're like, but that's water that was going to the Great Salt Lake. Are you sympathetic to those concerns? Well, of course we are because we understand this whole thing. You know, we're just such different um, uh, sisters. And, um, you know, everybody has their own needs and wants. And it's, it's more about the use after the water leaves here than what gets stored here and and you know timing timing is important in that and we need to find out what you know what's the real problem you know if our supply is that changed then we need to change our use not you know steal from one sister to give to the other that's well, uh, uh and it's not you know I, bear lake's not just another pretty place you know it's really is scientifically important geologically it's very rare and socially, um, as we talked about, it's so important. Economically, it's, it's our base. We sell blue. That's all we have to sell. That's all we have on Bear Lake, although there is a lot more to keep learning about it. But I hope you learned something here like I did on 
our little road trip up there. You had another highlight at the end, right? I made you get a raspberry shake. Yeah, <laughs> as someone who's lived in northern Utah for five years, I'd never had a proper Bear Lake raspberry milkshake. And how did you like it? It was wonderful. So, there's that going for it. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Follow us on social media. And wherever you're listening to us now, make sure you subscribe to us now. Maybe and leave us a review? We like that. Um, also, check out the Standard Examiner for all sorts of other fun science and environmental stories. We'll have a few photos up from this trip and a whole lot more coming on Bear Lake and Bear River. Yep. www.standard.net Thank you. I'm Benjamin Zach. And Lee Larson. Have fun out in the field. <laughs>